0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the 10th episode of Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about anything pop culture related, connecting uh, academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your very capable co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, professional Pokemon trainer. And tonight I am here with...
1: Uh, I'm Pete Romberg. I am a generally capable co-host and... Let's just go, curriculum developer. Feeling lazy tonight.
2: Um, and Kaylee, pretty awesome co-host that is a data analyst.
0: Yeah, look, you guys, Pokemon Go set out a new update, and Rock Pokemon are just all over the place. And you get more Poke or you get more candy while you're out walking. So if you know, calling myself anything other than a Pokemon trainer right now would just be uh, misleading. I think. Uh, but tonight, we are going to be talking about pop culture portrayals, pop culture portrayals of mental health. Uh, but before we really get into it, we are going to tell you exactly why that we are qualified to be talking about pop culture at all by listing off our credentials. This is the last piece of pop culture or media that we consumed, not censored for uh What's the word I'm looking for? Quality, guilty pleasure, guilty pleasure, coolness, not backwards. censored, <laughs> <laughs> not censored for levels of guilty pleasure or shame or quality, but simply the last thing we were enjoying before we started recording this podcast. Pete, would you like to start us off?
1: Yes. Uh, this is the opposite of censored, of not censored for. Guilty pleasure or shame. Um, The last thing that I've consumed is Evicted by Matthew Desmond. It is a nonfiction, um, let's call it narrative journalism, um, book. Matthew Desmond is a Harvard, I'm going to say sociologist, uh, winner of the MacArthur Genius Grant, and Evicted is um, a look at Milwaukee, the city I live in, have lived in for seven years, uh, and the... Basically, like the affordable housing crisis, housing difficulties for low-income renters, um, the problems with evictions, um, it is an absolutely devastating book. Um, mandatory reading if you have any interest whatsoever in social justice. Mandatory reading if you are if you live in Milwaukee. Um, it's doubly devastating to me because I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that intersection is. Um, But even if you have no idea where that street might be or where that neighborhood is, um, it's absolutely a must read if you're interested in issues of social justice and um, uh, especially housing justice.
0: I'm going to admit to you, Peter, I started reading this book. I could not finish it. Uh, Why? Uh, Because I wanted it to be a long form article. Mm. I thought that the way it was written... He was trying, I want to preface this by saying all of the information in it is devastating and necessary. The way it was written bothered me because it felt like he was, he was trying too hard to make it accessible. So he wrote it like a novel when what I really wanted was like his research and his numbers and his facts. Like there were huge chunks of that book where I was just like, you're trying to tell a story that I don't necessarily care about. What I want to know is like, what I want to read is your call to action. And I'm not getting that.
1: It's narrative journalism with a heavy emphasis on the narrative.
0: And I, I did not feel that that was necessarily the most effective method of, translating this information to me Hmm. i'm also willing to admit that that may just be a personal preference in the way that i read the book because like i said i agree with you this is important information this is stuff everybody should be thinking about um but the way that he presented it the lack like all of his kind of hard numbers are all in footnotes in the back yeah which meant that i never read any of them
1: oh and i'm the kind of guy who will go to the back and look at all the footnotes and everything um, and
0: if his if his goal was to make the information accessible, I don't think he was doing himself favors by burying them in the back of the book. That's um, fair. Kaylee, what do you have for us this week? So for this week,
2: I've been watching a show called The Good Place. It is on NBC, and it stars Christi- Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. And the premise is that Kristen Bell is dead and she goes to heaven or the good place. And, but surprise, she's not really that great. She's kind of a terrible person. Um, and it's sort of about her working with her partner in crime, I guess, which isn't really a crime because he's actually like the best person ever. Um, everyone gets assigned a soulmate and her soulmate is this great guy who kind of takes it upon her himself to help her learn to be a good person.
0: It's wonderful. It is. Pete, have you watched any of it?
1: No, I've actually never heard of it.
0: What? Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God, Peter, it's so good. <laughs>
1: that's why I'm just like, hmm, that sounds interesting. Can't no, weigh in on it.
0: No, it's – there's nothing quite like it on TV. Hmm.
1: See, that's yeah. – um, jumping the gun a little bit, that's exactly what I've been shouting about, like, Legion or Noah Hawley's other shows like Fargo. Well, um, so I'm intrigued to actually, try other things.
0: Actually, it is very similar to Legion in that it is very oversaturated, very hyper-realistic, like the um, mm-hmm. you know, Kaylee, it's your, it's your credential, I shouldn't be talking all over it. No, but... you can go for it, go for it. <laughs> um... <clears throat>
1: I mean, are we talking like American Gods style, like very fake but intentionally so, like stylized? Well,
0: I mean, yeah, it's an NBC sitcom, so and it takes place in the analog to heaven. So like every, it's actually rather than American Gods, I would compare it more to um. What dreams make? Oh, uh, no, the Brian Fuller show. Um, Hannibal. No, the <laughs> other, one, the happy uh, uh, one, like
1: pushing daisies, maybe. <laughs> Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. I would compare it more to Pushing Daisies in that sort of like too colorful, too bright, too cheery. Like there's one of the sort of running gags in the show is that there's like 87 frozen yogurt places yes. <laughs> all in this one little subdivision of heaven. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just Kristen Bell, like she's there by mistake. Um, she's not supposed to be there, but she doesn't want to leave. And the fact that she is as charming as she is, is the only thing that keeps you from just like hating this character because Mm -hmm. she's so bad. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. You get, you get flashbacks to when she was actually alive and it's like, Oh, you were terrible. (laughs) Actually.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah.
0: And I think without spoiling anything, it has one of the greatest twist endings of any like season of a TV show I've ever watched.
2: I haven't gotten there yet.
0: Okay, like I said, without spoiling. What,
1: what, was it just a one-off season, or is this like a ongoing? No, no.
0: It's been renewed. It's okay. been renewed for season two. There's only one season out so far, and I think all of it's on Hulu. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool, great. Uh, I'm drowning in good TV shows, but sure, I'll add another to the list.
0: <laughs> well, and I think it was only a 13-episode first season, yeah. and they're only half-hour episodes, oh. so it's real short.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally doable.
0: Yeah, it's tasty like candy. Um... <laughs> my credential for this week uh, i have been revisiting one of my very very favorite it might even be my favorite web comic um called something positive uh it is by it is written and drawn by randy mulholland you can find it at somethingpositive.net. um it has been around since at least 2001
1: like kind of the dawn um, of the internet
0: Yep. Yeah, this is one of, like, when people talk about the beginnings of webcomics, something positive is one of the old guard. Like, this one started up, I think, shortly after Dave Willis started his little empire. Um, it came into being around the same time or a little bit before questionable content. Um, it's been oh, around for a long time. Christ, questionable cr- a...
1: content is that old?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <It's really
1: dull.
2: laughs> which, speaking um, of which... Oh, sorry, I interrupted. No, it's okay. What are we gonna say? Andrew's been rereading through Penny Arcade.
1: Mm. That's some old guard webcomic.
0: Yep. Well, and I actually Penny Arcade one of the things that I like about going back to revisit um webcomic archives is I like to see the way that the art evolves. But I've actually gotten to the point with Penny Arcade where I, I don't like to look at the very earliest <laughs> strips. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah something positive is about a group of very good friends. They start off living in Boston. Uh, They end up kind of spread all over the uh, United States. They're all terrible people, um, but they all really love each other. And it takes place in this uh, world where like people can get away with kind of casual violence and nobody really punishes them because that would ruin the joke. Um, But it also deals with very realistic situations. Uh, One of the characters, mother dies um, about halfway through the run Um, You know, they break up, they get married. One of them, one of the couples adopted a kid. So like, it's all this sort of hyper-realistic violence and elevated humor, but then also very real, relatable situations. And all the characters are just slightly, they're just a little bit older than me. So I've always been in a very relatable place with the characters. I've always kind of felt like they and I were in sort of a similar place in our lives Um, so it's just, it's something that I like. It's a little bit comfort food. It's like internet comfort food for me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And if nobody has any further comments about that, I think we should move into our main discussion. Sounds good. All right. Our topic for today is pop culture portrayals of mental health. Uh, which is something that I've been kind of wanting to do since we started the podcast. And I do want to preface this episode by saying that this is an enormous topic that we can probably revisit um, in different, more specific ways as the podcast kind of progresses. But I did sort of want to do a groundwork episode because I think that um, mental health struggles with mental health um mental health awareness has been kind of on the rise in pop culture. And I wanted to recognize that. Um, I also know that I myself struggle with um, different mental health issues that I have, you know, found comfort or help in different pop culture uh, outlets. And I kind of wanted to pay some tribute to the fact that for whatever damage, and we will get into this for whatever damage pop culture does Uh, to people with mental health and to our portrayals of mental health, I think it also does a lot of good. So my big ideas for the episode today, um, which I'm going to introduce to you, our listeners, so you can kind of ruminate on them while we get into the specifics of our homework, are, first of all, how have media portrayals of mental health evolved (laughs) over time? Uh, Second, I... I think that in general, it's fair to say that media portrays struggle with mental health in one of three ways, demonizing, romanticizing, or normalizing it. I'd like us to kind of talk about where we feel our homework falls on that spectrum of portrayals. And then finally, what I'd really like to get into is that all... um, All experiences with mental health are very different and very specific to the person experiencing them. Uh, How can pop culture and media help us find common ground in something that is so radically different from person to person? And how can we use pop culture to work towards a normalizing view of mental health struggles? So keeping all of those things in mind, Pete... You had the oldest homework. Why don't you start us off by introducing us to uh, the film you made us watch for today?
1: Yes. So, um, I dug deep into the archives and deep into the history and chose the 1945 Hitchcock film Spellbound, starring Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman and a bunch of other people. Um, I, my first exposure to this film was actually in a course on the history of psychiatry. Um, which I took in my undergrad uh, career, which make this entire episode very interesting to me, revisiting a lot of those ideas. Um, I wanted to choose it because it is, A, a Hitchcock movie, uh, so watch it. Um, B, it is a not one of his like greater known ones. I didn't want to choose Psycho. Um, and C, it is deeply rooted in the theory of psychoanalysis, which is, an like, at at the time, for the first half of uh, the 20th century, psychoanalysis was the framework in which to view mental health and mental illness in America. And it has since been thoroughly discredited. Um, So I thought it was interesting to look at how media has portrayed mental health over time and sort of what that looked like then. And it wasn't an amazing depiction of psychoanalysis. Um, like, theory back then, but looking at it now, it feels very dated and very out of place. Um, whereas 50... Oh, shoot, no, like, 65 years ago when it came out, um, it was much more doing what we would, you know, want to see pop culture do, which is portray mental health issues through the lens that we are familiar with. Or, or that, that is, like, normalized as, like, the co- quote-unquote correct way to think of mental illness, mental health, and how to treat it. It's also a big old silly noir romance thing (laughs) on top of everything else. Um, So what did you guys think?
0: It was certainly a movie that I watched. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, like big old asterisks. It's 1945, so like we got some great old gender politics going on. We got a great. I was lot gonna
0: say, I had a hard <laughs> time seeing the forest for the misogynistic trees while I was oh, watching. But darling,
1: it. darling.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I I like it when um when Ingrid Bergman's mentor, the uh, the very Freudian doctor whose name is escaping me starts talking about like women's predisposition to hysteria and how she just needs to like calm down but you know he understands because of her woman parts that, um i'm that, paraphrasing but that was the gist of the uh, of the conversation
1: that's like two thirds um, of the way through the movie and the movie opens with a scene almost with the exact same conversation of like you're too cold and not womanly you should like be in love with me, cause I'm a dude right here standing in front well, of you.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna kiss your
0: face. What? <laughs> yeah, get and, out of here. And I, I liked that the the sort of first patient that we see is the, um, the woman who like opens the movie by scratching that dude for reasons. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. This is sort of beside the point. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I a-
1: think... acknowledging and leaving aside the fact that it was written and directed in 1945.
0: Yeah, I did think it was interesting, all of that taken in cons- into consideration, um, that Hitchcock chose to make the main character a lady, mm-hmm. um, because by by virtue of her being, by virtue of uh, Bergman being the lead in the movie, she, she sort of becomes the one who solves the puzzle and cures the dude and, you know, regardless of how many sexist things are being t- said about her. Uh, she's still kind of the one driving the story, which I thought was interesting.
1: She's definitely a hashtag strong female character. <laughs>
0: um, I pulled out the quote that they that runs um at the very beginning of the movie, um, which I'm going to read for you all because I think it's interesting, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, so the the movie opens with this uh, scrawl. Um, well actually first I think it really opens with a quote from Julius Caesar but after that our story deals with psychoanalysis, the method by which modern science treats the emotional problems of the sane. The analyst seeks only to induce the patient to talk about his hidden problems, to open the locked doors of his mind. Once the complexes that have been disturbing the patient are uncovered and interpreted, the illness and confusion disappear, and the devils of unreason are driven from the human soul. I you think we can I all love see. That quote. I think we can all see at least 12 things that are wrong with this quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in conjunction with this, and we can talk about it um, in a little bit, I did pull up an article titled How Mental Illness is Misrepresented in the Media, um, a bunch of w- points of which actually get hit in Spellbound. Um, but again, it's important to remember that this is a movie from 1945. And um changed. Yeah, it, but it is interesting to look at it and see how our understanding of mental health has evolved. I mean, Pete, you mentioned that um, basically everything about psychoanalysis that this movie presents was basically debunked.
1: Oh, not basically, like just thoroughly. Totally. Like every, every moment in this film that tackles with anything vaguely psychological is basically now considered untrue
0: including the dolly dream
1: i mean that's that just dream sequence great
0: dream. Was awesome
1: right like that's the other reason i wanted to make you watch this movie dolly dream sequence
0: <laughs> i was
2: enjoying that i'm like i just want to like visit this bar
1: <laughs> right i want a faceless man to yell at me
2: <laughs> that's not creepy at all
1: also i, I did enjoy the scantily clad woman was like i don't know she's wearing a dress 1945
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. come on <laughs> I would love for someone to psychoanalyze my dreams Because sometimes I wake up and I'm like What was that mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean I think the big issue with this movie Is that it, it presents It presents Trauma As something that Goes away Once it's been like the Identified score yeah yeah and and that is the the idea of
1: psychoanalysis like if once we discover your deep-seated childhood or infantile fixations and traumas and you didn't get enough love from your mother or whatever um then we can begin curing it because that's what's causing your you know whatever your your nervous breakdown right now is the fact that you uh you know didn't get enough love as a child um and like so in 1945 this all like that that premise kind of checks out in the sense that they're like yeah that's what psychoanalytic like psychoanalytical theory says so that's fine like that's right and now we look at it and just think this is nonsense and thank god we are not having movies with this premise these days
0: Yeah. The other thing that kind of stood out to me about this movie, was at some point, Gregory Peck says, will you still love me when I'm normal? Mm. And that idea of that idea of his issues being or, or rather the idea of normal being something to strive for. I feel like this is an idea that our culture is very much pushing back against right now. This idea that there's a normal that everybody should be subscribing to.
2: Yep.
0: Um, which also made me think of Legion, which unless anybody has anything else specifically to say about Spellbound, I'm sort of inclined to move into just so we can start getting to the parts where all of these things intersect. Sure. Go
1: for it. I think that's a great transition.
0: Awesome. So the homework I assigned for the episode were the first two episodes of the show Legion. Uh, Legion is a TV series that uh, started this year on FX, uh, produced by Noah Hawley, who some of you may know from Fargo. Uh, it is stars Dan Stevens as David Holler, uh, and also features Rachel Kelly, Aubrey Plaza, Bill Irwin, and a bunch of other people. Uh, so Dan Stevens is the the not the title character, uh, but the um, yeah, no, the main the, character, the David. Character. Yeah, Legion, so for anybody who's not as much of a nerd as I am, Legion was an X-Men character uh, slash kind of anti-hero villain type uh, who's excessively powerful. Um, And so far, David in the TV show has been called a mutant, but there's been no real mention of X-Men, just that this is a universe in which uh, mutants exist. So Dan Stevens stars as David Haller, who is has been in um, a mental institution for most of his life, dealing with what he is told is schizophrenia, um, but what we actually find out is incredibly powerful psychic abilities. Uh, he hears people's thoughts. He can enter other people. He can enter other people's thoughts. He can invite them into his own. He's telekinetic. He's, you know, people tell us over and over again that he is one of the most powerful mutants that they've ever seen. I wanted to assign this as homework because there's this question of is he actually insane um, or is it just his psychic powers? Oh, no, he's just incredibly si- he's just incredibly powerful. Oh, but wait, all of these years of being told that he's um, schizophrenic and dangerous may have actually caused some real issues that he needs to deal with, but now is not because he's like, oh, it's just because I'm psychic. Um, there's also potentially another entity living in his brain that is causing really bad things to happen. Um, and the, I mean, the whole, the whole show basically takes place in some form of alternate reality generated by David's, um, David's thoughts and emotions and memories. Um, what did you guys think of the show? Had you watched it before? I had not.
1: Uh, Kaylee, I'm gonna let you go with it because I love Legion so much. So I want you to start um, <laughs> as a buffer.
2: <laughs> okay, I- I'll be I'll be your fluffer. Yeah,
1: yeah well, not, not fluffer like the <laughs> the
0: like. She meant what she said, Pete. I
2: meant what she I said. said what you said. <laughs> um, I I i appreciate legion um from an objective standpoint i understand that it is a very it is a very good show i don't think it is a show for me which is fine because not every show needs to be made for me or else it'd be pretty chaotic and (laughs) nothing would make sense
1: (laughs) you you should be a white man for a bit because then every show just has to be made for you it's amazing
2: True, that's
0: true. <laughs> um, and if it's not, you can get mad about oh, it. it. It's so yeah, wonderful. and then
2: people will change
0: uh-huh. their world
2: to fit yours. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. So I I think it's very real, well, very well written. Um, it's sort of a beautiful show in its own way. Like it's dark and gritty, but it's kind of like really well put together and not just dark and gritty to be dark and gritty. Um, but I think. I know for me, like, I don't know if it's, I don't know necessarily if it is a show that I will watch the rest of just because I'm really weird about what stuff I'll consume. Like I'll consume like everything from vein, a of whatever topic. And then like, there's so many good shows that I just haven't seen. But anyway, that I'm sort of really super rambling and I apologize. Um, it has been a week. Um, where was I going? Yes, so Legion is good. But Legion might not be for me, but I could very much see where you guys would enjoy it.
0: Pete, tell me how much you love this show. I love this <laughs> because show Because I also much. love this
2: show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so I am predisposed to enjoy shows that are capital A artistic and... At this point, I'm just going to watch whatever Noah Hawley decides to put on a screen um, and say it's the greatest thing ever made because Fargo season one came out and I was raving that I'd never seen anything like it on TV. Fargo season two came out and I was raving that I'd never seen anything like it on TV. Legion came out and I'm raving that I've never seen anything like it on TV. <laughs> um,
2: I need to watch Fargo.
1: Yeah, you really Like, Fargo's amazing. Um, I
2: think I would like Fargo
1: what i really enjoyed about legion was like it it it's like nothing i've ever seen on tv um specifically it it's so bold and colorful and the music selection is incredible i mean it opens with oh yeah
2: sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but speaking of music did anybody else sort of notice the sort of um stranger things
1: you were talking about that. I didn't get the Stranger Things vibe. Um
2: Okay. The, like it was it was like a music vibe and I picked up on I'm like, that sounds like the Stranger Things intro. Like The um, the,
1: the score composer it... is the same guy who did the score for Hannibal. Um Okay. So I was getting sort of that vibe. But more specifically for me, there was the like it opens with a song by the Who. And then I think in, in yeah. the first episode too, there's like She's a Rainbow by uh by the Rolling Stones. Like this is an awesomely soundtracked show on top yes. of everything else um I have other things that I think about this that will make more sense when we get into some of the discussion questions a little bit um one thing that I really I thoroughly enjoyed about the show but was also disappointed because I didn't think they went far enough is the idea that you were bringing up Martha of does he have schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder or is he being possessed by some evil force or is it some trauma or something or, or does he have mutant powers? Um, and I think that the most interesting answer to that question is both. And I, I know that the character Legion in the comics is a kind of problematic character. Um, he's very similar to, um, a character from doom patrol, uh, Who has the same ability, which is like, I have dissociative identity disorder, and each of my personalities has a different power. Um, Which is, at its heart, both silly and problematic, um, but at least gets the idea that like, oh, you both have a mental health disorder and mutant powers. Um, And Legion never quite gets to that point, and they might be just sidestepping the whole you have a mental health issue entirely because that is sort of a weirder part of his character um, that probably wouldn't scan super well in, like, this adaptation. Um, but it's something that I'm, I'm enjoying, like... I, I enjoyed the way that the show sometimes, like, crept up to it.
0: I will say I have not watched, like, the last two episodes, so okay. there could be some wrap-up that I haven't seen yet. Um, but for me, the most interesting question that I think the show asks, I'm at least reading it as asking this is how much of David's inherent instability has been caused by people telling him he's insane his whole life. Mm -hmm. Like how much of it is just been caused by being pushed into this environment where he's being treated for mental illness. um, And then sort of as a response to that, because I think in these first two episodes we see how he's clearly been modifying his memories to make his brain a safer place for, like he locks up the stuff that he's afraid of because he doesn't want to deal with it and he locks it up so that no one else can see it. I think because my, the implication I think is that he's ashamed of it. um, And how much of that feeling is coming from sort of external forces rather than any um, internal chemical imbalance or um, sort of more, I, I don't want to use the word organic, Um, but I guess internally caused struggles rather than externally, kind of like
1: a negative placebo effect.
0: Yeah. I do also want to just interject here really fast, um, sort of a disclaimer. Obviously the thing we're going to be speaking in generalities during this episode out of necessity. Um, it is not our intent to offend or insult or make light of anybody's struggles or issues. Um, and we are all people doing the best we can to be as sensitive as we can uh, to these real, these very real and very serious problems. And disclaimer.
1: Hashtag woke.
0: Yeah, woke <laughs> okay. AF. So that was um, that was kind of my inspiration behind choosing Legion as a point of discussion. I also think the cinematography is really fascinating, particularly in comparison to spellbound because the institution that he's in is stylized very retro. It is clearly very meant to be um, kind of visually coded to like a sixties or even um, like sixties or seventies look about it. it, it it's
1: cuckoo's nest meets a panopticon
0: and i do wonder that's very intentional and it makes me wonder if holly is commenting on the treatment that david is getting by coding it as being so retro like is is that meant to say uh that the treatment he's getting is um Inferior or like unhelpful because, um, you know, we're supposed to see it as being out of date and, uh, like old and ineffective.
1: I think he just thinks it's super cool groovy, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think, I think, Holly's well, more deliberate than that.
1: I, I don't disagree, but I don't know if you've met Jermaine Clement yet. Um,
0: who I have. Is I have. a super
1: cool groovy hip cat um i think it's more just trying to my view of it and we'll get into this as we get into the discussion questions is that so much of the show is designed to put the viewer off balance um and by displacing it within time so that you can never say you can say like oh that chair looks 60s or like that set looks 70s but you're wearing a t-shirt, like the costumes are from like the 90s or the aughts or what have you. Um, It all makes it all, it, 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 by displacing the whole thing out of time and making it more like a pastiche of the last 50 years, it puts the viewer somewhat off balance because you are both acknowledging things you're familiar with, but they're also clashing with other things you're familiar with that shouldn't be together.
0: Well, and I do think that as a viewer, we're supposed to get to a place where we don't trust anything we're seeing Mm -hmm. because most of the show is coming to us through an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. So like we don't know what time it takes place in because the only point of view we have to kind of judge that on is David's Mm -hmm. and David may not know what what time (laughs) period we're in. Right, right. Okay, finally, we're going to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, Kaylee, tell us about your homework, which is actually very unique compared to what Pete and I picked.
2: Yes, so my homework for this episode uh, is two, I guess you'd call them storylines from an online webcomic called Hyperbole and a Half. Um, and you can find these by Allie Broche, and you can also find these in her book that she published. When did she publish that book? Um, I'm sorry, guys. Do, 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 I should have my stuff together, but I don't. Um, 2013. Wow, it has been a while. No, um, it wasn't
1: 2013. <laughs> yeah, I think geez, it was. Christ.
2: Yeah. Lord. That's what the internet tells me.
1: <laughs> Time should just stop progressing in a linear way like it does. No, um,
2: it, it really did. Like it, <laughs> it's still like 2012 in my head, so... Which explains a lot. Uh, anyway, so it is a like a, two-parter webcomic story. I guess you call it a story. Um, of her sort of realizing that she's depressed... And how she dealt with that, and then the follow up of her sort of getting the treatment and becoming undepressed and unraveling that, um, unraveling those emotions
0: in a personal narrative. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest difference between. Uh, Ali Broch's comics and the other two is that they're nonfiction or autobiographical rather. So where Spellbound and Legion are portraying fictional struggles, uh, the Adventures in Depression comics are one per- one very specific person's very personal um again, journey feels like the wrong word, but their uh, situation? Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Um yeah, I said uh in our show notes, you know, they're chronicling a real person expressing her struggles with depression. Um my big question specifically for this one, which I guess we can get to later but I kind of want to talk about it now is does that specificity make this a more or less relatable story than the other two? Like knowing that this is one specific person, um, does that make it more or less uh, relatable? Um, You know, more because she's a real person, it's not a story that someone fabricated, but also less because everyone's struggle is different and, you know, hers is hers and maybe not somebody else's.
1: So, first, I think that We had an amazing triptych of homeworks in the sense that they covered an enormous amount of territory um, for this topic, which is a big topic. Um, Mm -hmm. Second, Kayla, I'm super glad you did assign this because I got to reread it, and I forgot how amazing they are. Um, Third, to go, Martha, to your specific point, that's sort of what I was waiting to jump on with with Legion. So this is like a doubly good segue for me. (laughs) um i I think that i so like i am lucky that i have i mostly run on an even keel i myself don't have any serious uh mental health issues or anything so seeing portrayals of it in pop culture is helpful to do what we were talking about last episode which is building that empathy like having Like, since I myself am not experiencing things, seeing presentations of other experiences is highly useful. Um, To that end, something like... I'm going to discount Spellbound because it is so clearly no longer relevant. Um, Legion and Hyperbole and a Half are sort of getting at the same thing from two radically different ends, which is trying to make a viewer who cannot have this particular unique experience Mm -hmm. empathize with as best as possible and try to live through as best as possible this highly unique experience. Um, In Legion, it's TV's version of dissociative identity disorder and just like a general paranoia. Um, And so everything is crazy and you, the viewer, don't have a good sense of what's real and what's fake. Much like David doesn't have a sense of what's real and what's uh, imaginary, um, and that's amazing for Legion, and that's also just useful to experience. Hyperbole and a Half does the other way. I think that her, for me, her enormous personal angle actually makes it more powerful because it's like, oh, this is this is one person, so I can empathize very deeply with it because it is not a a generalization it is a highly personal experience um and even if that's not everyone else's experience it's still a like for me this is a a beginning launching point for understanding other people who have similar um you know similar but different um experiences
2: yeah and to springboard off of that i thought like one of my not favorite parts isn't favorite isn't well yeah, I'm going to say favorite parts. Favorite parts about this comic oh. series, about these two comic bits, is how, like, people who are not going through depression view depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and that struck me pretty hard, because it's like, yes, that that is what it's like, because it's, you know, it's like saying, hey, I want to have I'm missing something that I don't have, like it's or something that didn't come out right
1: well it, it's sort of the 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 thing of like you know it get like it'll get better. cheer up. it's not yeah. that bad, like because I'm trying to make you feel better because you look sad. um but the issue isn't because... that you're sad about something particular that I can fix. you know it's just it it's something else entirely.
0: Well, and that one is interesting for me because while I don't, while her experience as a whole, I don't necessarily relate to, there are parts of things that she describes where I'm like, yes, that's it exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, So even if I don't necessarily, if I haven't experienced depression exactly the way that she has 100% of the time, there are facets of that that I can look at and go, oh, you get it too. Yep. Like, this thing that I have sometimes struggled to explain myself, like, other people feel that. And that, I think, coming from another real person, I do think is almost more valuable than reading a fictionalized version because it's more immediate.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: It's more like I can point to this and go, I'm not broken. This other real person felt the same thing that I did, mm-hmm. which yeah. means it's not abnormal. It's not um like totally
1: like i'm i'm not unique in a bad way of unique
0: it's not something that i should be ashamed of <laughs> right mm. um but i also think that you can get that similar effect through fictionalized narratives because there's more distance like you can look at them more objectively and go have i felt that like is this something that i identify with Um, it's why it's one of the reasons, you know, I'm a, I've spoken about this dozens of times on the podcast, but as a teen librarian, being able to pull a book off the shelf, even if it's a fictional story and say, I think that you, you being the teen that I'm talking to would identify with the main character of this book. Um, even if it's a fictional character, like that can be sort of a, a point for them to go, Oh, cool other people have thought of or experienced these things that I have as well.
1: Yeah. I, I was doing a lot of thinking since last episode with the idea of empathy and what that is. Um, and spoiler thinking into the next episode as well, which we'll talk about at the end of the importance of performance, not in the sense of, of like putting on a show, but of, of, watching somebody else go through a thing whether that thing is a learning process or whether that thing is a a mental health crisis watching another human like watching another person either real or fictional go through a thing is important for being able to have at least a ground level beginning point for thinking about other people who are going through similar issues um or just similar events um even if it is entirely fabricated um the book version of one Th- through uh, flew over the cuckoo's nest is written from chief's perspective uh he's the big native american person and he is actually uh, psychotic maybe um like clinically um, he has breaks with reality and so the book is fascinating because it's like he's not sure what's real what's fake you're not sure what's real what's fake the entire book is fictional but you're still like being able to read that first person even fictional account of confusion of reality is helpful for then thinking about like other people um, even if, if you know over dramatization makes it unreal it's still a beginning point
0: uh which so we bounced around a little bit because i insisted we get to our third question first but i'm going to go back to the top of our big ideas list um so i have i've written down this idea that media portrays mental health or struggles with mental health in one of three ways and obviously these are all going to you know mix and match and be shades on a spectrum um but i think in general they media falls into demonizing mental illness, romanticizing it, or normalizing it? Uh, first of all, do you agree with my assessment? And second of all, where do you feel our uh, homework assignments kind of fall on that spectrum? Or am I just totally off base? <laughs>
2: um, I'm trying to think. I don't want to say something that sounds like I'm talking out my butt. I kind of feel, I feel like there is another classification in there, but I don't know what it is. You know what? Hold on. Let's pause. Rewind. Martha, what What do you mean when you say normalize? Because I know that can kind of go in a, several different
0: directions, and I just want to know which direction you mean it to go in. Um, I guess by normalize, I mean, being upfront about the fact that many people struggle with some form of mental illness to some degree, um, that it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It is just something that people deal with. So it is not a bad thing, um, which is where I would feel that, um, spellbound falls, um, it is not a thing that inspires creative genius, which I think is sort of a dangerous lie that our culture tells struggling artists right now. Um, that it is something to be dealt with. It's something that it's okay to deal with. That if you need help for it, that's that's okay. Yep. Um, so that that's kind of what I mean by normalizing it. I would say I would say that the hyperbole and a half strips i mean not just by virtue of them being autobiographical but in terms of tone it's very like these are things that real people struggle with this is how i dealt with it um i needed help event like i needed help so eventually i got it and that's okay yep Can i would we, agree with you on that
1: i'm i'm really glad you asked that because I totally agree about normalizing and hyperbole and a half being that um I would have classified Spellbound as romanticizing, not because it necessarily romanticizes mental health, but it's sort of... Like, Martha, after you explaining your meaning in those ways, I totally get why you would call it demonizing. Um, But it's more like it's a problem to be solved, but it's also like,
0: and then it gets solved and everything's okay. Yeah,
1: precisely. Yeah. Like, and we have the tools to solve it. And isn't that wonderful? Um. And also, like, oh, no, you're just... The worst that happens is you sort of go into a fugue state or something. Like, it, it, it's a very... Like, it, Spellbound portrays it as a solvable problem, but not a serious problem. Because it is... Because we do have the tools to fix you. Um...
0: But it's also very much a problem that must be solved.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because we all have to be like good, normal 1940s white people.
0: Again, it's the will you still love me when I'm normal? It's like, well, what does normal mean if depression is something I'm going to have to deal with my entire life? Yeah. 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 I'm honestly, and I I say this, I'm honestly not sure where Legion falls or if Legion even counts on this spectrum. I don't think it fits anywhere
1: um i I think that there are romanticized elements to it, but I also think there are demonized elements to it um and in ways normalized elements to it um
0: I well, think and it's complicated. it's not a zero sum it's not a zero sum game like one one story can encompass multiple of these aspects. It was just sort of a a way to kind of get us to think about what function is mental health playing in these stories that we're talking about
1: yeah one one thing you've got in the show notes which i think is perfect for legion is just the thought that uh romanticizing mental health can be as dangerous as demonizing it and i think for legion especially it sort of like straddles both of those worlds because legion could very easily um you know fall into the trap of like oh like, you know, I, I, I'm I not crazy. I don't have a mental health issue. I just have, like, other things going on. Um, and and it could, you know... If David actually does have dissociative identity disorder or something, um, then he needs to get treatment for that, even if he is also a superpowered powered mutant. Um, like, those mm-hmm. two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes. Um, and, I agree. And... The romanticizing angle is like, oh, you're not like, you know, you don't have an issue. You're just a mutant with a parasite in your brain, um, like a mutant parasite. Um, and it's like, great, cool. Mental health problems but also, aren't problems. Yay. <laughs> Like,
0: Well, yeah, and I, I sort of wonder if the point of that is also to later. And again, I said earlier, I haven't finished the season but if that moment when um what's the name of the what's the name of a uh, gene smarts character uh melanie bird yeah when melanie says you're when she tells david straight up like you're not crazy you just have like special powers if we as the audience are are meant to understand that that's not totally accurate So when David starts just taking that as carte blanche, like, oh, I'm fine. I can do whatever I want. Like, that's like we're supposed to understand that that's that he's not fine.
1: I hope so. That's how I I read it. But that's also because I knew about Legion's like comic book history.
0: I also am not sure how much of how I read the show is colored by my comic book knowledge. Right. Yeah. Because David in the comics is uh,
1: deeply problematic. He's
0: he's not well. Yeah. Uh, He's not good either. Interesting. Uh, So my next question is kind of a gimme, and I think we may have already kind of covered it, but it's how have media portrayals of mental health evolved over time? I I think in general, and obviously this is a generalization because I think that we still have, we as in the general cultural, we still have very problematic um, thoughts, feelings, ways of dealing with, dealing with mental health. Um, But in general, I think our, at least our media is getting better. Like it's more I feel like it's more kind of normal to see a character struggle with these issues and have that be part of their character and not just like and then they were cured and felt fine. And and specifically
1: yeah. it's less a, a problem that needs fixing and more this is who they are um, mm-hmm. without that like fix it angle.
0: Yeah, I I generally deeply appreciate stories where um, a person's struggles with mental health are less or are not like just magically fixed by the end. And it's more like, how do you how do you learn to deal with this? How do you ask for help when you need it? Rather than just, well, how do we cure you so that, you know, you can fall in love with this guy or whatever? Yeah, yeah. The the dude cures the crazy girl of all of her neuroses is my like least favorite romantic story trope ever. You're not a fan of the uh, Adam Sandler masterpiece Fifty First Dates? That movie is so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> it's awful. Oh my god! Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up every day not knowing where you are? And it's like and with Adam Sandler. Well, and Even knowing who
1: you life... are, just with Adam Sandler, that's
0: terrifying. What was her life like when she was pregnant? I don't want to like, know. Every day she wakes up and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> anyway, that movie is terrible. <laughs> that
1: movie is terrible, but that also that movie is like not that old. So I, I think that you're right that the arc of our media consumption is getting better. But...
0: Well, and in general, it is important to remember that our country has very terrible views of treating people with mental illness and caring for them and that, you know, media is the product of the culture that it resides in. But again, I think it is even if it's a gentle arc, even if we can do better, which we can, I'm not saying that we can't. I think it's important to recognize that it is in general trending upward. And and
1: part of it I think too is what what aspect of mental illness you're talking about um i think that we've gotten a lot better at dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and Mm -hmm. um i would say broader more cinema friendly mental illnesses like amnesia or like um schizophrenia um Multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, things like that, which like lend themselves to being big um, like plot points. We're not good at those because we still like using them as big plot points.
0: Well, and as long as M. Night Shyamalan is still allowed to make movies, (laughs) we will we will still end up demonizing the old, the poor and the crazy.
1: Mm hmm. But, like, that's also true of, I'm sure, Michael Bay. Uh, most big blockbuster directors aren't great with those groups of people.
0: I'm just thinking very specifically right now of Split, which I just got in the library and I did not see because I don't trust M. Night Shyamalan anymore. But I bought four copies for the library and every single one has, like, 18 holds on it. That's, and that's his like, new movie, Ugh. right? Yeah, that's the one with James <laughs> McAvoy. Yeah. What I. he doing
1: i i kind of want to see it i heard it's a backdoor sequel to unbreakable which is good
0: i don't know he's got split personality disorder he's kind
1: of like legion like he's got split personality disorder and they have like different strengths and stuff
0: but yeah i think one of them is actually like the devil
1: yeah that checks out
0: (laughs) anyway um but
1: yeah so i i think that we're we're getting more nuanced in some ways and better in some ways but then like you know everyone likes a good amnesia case in a movie so sure
0: and baby we got so far to go mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay guys i think that does it for what i'm sure will end up being part one on multiple episodes in the future on various aspects of mental health and pop culture portrayals um pete what are we talking about next week not next week the week after
1: yeah next episode we are going to um be talking about grief and loss and dealing with grief and loss um to continue our theme of nice heavy topics um hooray yes uh, my homework assignment is, and also we're, we're going to be dealing with how the media helps portray it, and and I think some deeper themes of empathy will evolve as well. Um, my homework assignment is unique this week. Um, I'm asking you guys to listen to the album The Skeleton Tree by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I'm going to ask you to listen to it twice. The first time, I just want you to queue it up on Spotify, or iTunes, or wherever you get your music, and listen to it. Basically, the music version of Blind. Like, don't do any pre-reading on it, just listen to the album. Um, Then I want you to read the Wikipedia page for it, and the Pitchfork review of the album. Uh, Both of those will be posted in the show notes, so that um, you guys can go easily find that. And then I want you to listen to the album again, having read those reviews, and the Wikipedia, like, summary of the album. Um, I'm particularly interested to see if having the knowledge of that changes your impression of what you're listening to.
0: And if anybody would like to share their experiences while they are going through that, um, I will let you know all of the different ways that you can contact us and share our thoughts, share your thoughts with us uh, as soon as Kaylee lets us know what her homework assignment is. So my
2: homework assignment for next episode is season five, episodes 21 and 22 of the hit show Scrubs. Um, if you have not watched it and you would like to binge watch that, like, five and a half seasons before you watch those two, that's okay, too. <laughs> <laughs> If not, I would say just jump into Season 5, Episodes 21 and 22. Um, There's a little bit of a continuous storyline just running through Scrubs, but I think it's okay if you just jump in the middle. It, It jumps around a whole bunch anyway.
0: Also, if you haven't watched Scrubs yet at this point, what are you doing with your life, maybe?
1: Yeah, pause the podcast now and just go watch scrubs and then we'll go
0: watch scrubs yeah um so before i get into my homework pete where can people listen to that album
1: oh uh you should be able to find on spotify and itunes and probably anywhere music is available um i know you can get it on vinyl if you're the kind of guy who wants to get it on vinyl um it used to be available on youtube it might no longer be um it is totally available on spotify
0: and kaylee where can people watch scrubs uh i know netflix is an option my husband is telling me right now that hulu it is all on hulu
2: okay it is all on hulu (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: for my homework i'm assigning a young adult novel called spontaneous By Aaron Starmer. It's S-T-A-R-M-E-R. This is a very new book. It came out um, last August 2016. So it's not even a year old. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Because I don't want to ruin the surprise. (laughs) Um, But yeah, spontaneous Aaron Starmer. Uh, located anywhere, local libraries have books. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find our homework, read about our episodes, listen to our uh, listen to our episodes at our home on the web at homeworkpodcast dot com. You can download our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and basically anywhere you would find podcasts. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us. We are, um, in addition to our Home on the Web, you can find us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast, uh, on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework, um, and you can email us at show showathomeworkpodcast.com. Um I did see that we finally have enough ratings on iTunes that you can see how many people have rated them. The Ooh. answer is five. Um, please continue to re- please continue to review us. Uh, if you or please continue to rate us. If you write us a review, we will read that on air. Um, if you send us show ideas, we will take them into very serious consideration. Um, and if you send us comments, questions, concerns, discussion topics, anything you share with us, we will share in our episode. So please be part of our discussion. Uh, so that's where you can find us on the web. Pete, where could people find you on the web if they wanted to do some cyber stalking?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Pico 3000. That's P-I-K-O 3000. Uh, listen to my rants mostly about politics and also <laughs> music and pop culture but mostly
2: politics.
0: (laughs) Kaylee, where can people find you? You can find me
2: at tricky lemon on Instagram where there is way too many cat photos.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at magical Martha, uh, to continue the, um, line of cat photo dialogue. I have Guinea pigs. They're real cute. I take a lot of photos of them. (laughs) I take a lot of photos of them, particularly i've been tweeting a lot about how cute they are when they eat lettuce so that's the kind of quality content you can expect from me if you were to follow me on social network uh and with that class is dismissed we will see you guys in two weeks